This is episode 50 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. Welcome to episode 50 of Ethics and Culture Cast from Notre Dame's DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. I'm Ken Hellenius, the communications specialist at the center. In this episode, we chat with Father David Guffey of Family Theater Productions and Holy Cross Family Ministries. He is the executive producer of the new film, Pray, the story of Patrick Payton, which arrives in theaters this month. We chat about how the venerable Father Payton's own miraculous healing became the inspiration for his missionary zeal to promote family prayer and the rosary. Let's sit down at the Zoom machine for this delightful conversation. Well, Father David Guffey, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Indeed. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you grew up, where you studied, uh, those sorts of things. Wonderful. I grew up in a little town in western Illinois called Mount Carroll. And I found my way to the University of Notre Dame. So I did my undergraduate work at, at Notre Dame. I was an American studies major. I love journalism. I was involved with campus radio station, uh, did a little, few things for the Observer at the time. But I thought I was going to be an attorney until I got this idea in the back of my head that wouldn't go away that I should be a priest. <laughs> and so um, I followed that direction with Holy Cross. And here I am, 31 years, or almost 30 years or, ordained a priest and uh, delighted for it. I had a, a number of assignments as a priest, and what I was finding was that the moving visual image was what was shaping people's lives, their hearts, and had so much influence. And so taking my interest in the media, I uh, approached the Congregation of Holy Cross asking if I could study film and television, and they agreed. So I went and I got a Master's of Fine Arts at uh, Loyola Marymount mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, and I thought that I would teach. I was, I was interested in doing a variety of things, but I ended up at Family Theater Productions, which is a media apostolate that's sponsored by the Congregation of Holy Cross. And I've been there since 2008. Wow. Well, you are the executive producer of this new film, Pray, the story of Patrick Payton, who was himself a larger-than-life Holy Cross priest who popularized the phrase, the family that prays together stays together, among other things. Tell us a little bit about this film. How did it start? How long have you been working on it? Kind of those sorts of things. Sure. Um, there have been a number of films made about Father Peyton and a number of little smaller documentaries. Most of them focused on him, his work, and a lot of it focused on his work in Hollywood because it's really fun. Yeah. He, he worked with all these old-time stars. When I started working in family theater in 2008, we had a room in the lower level of our building on Sunset Boulevard we called The Vault. And it had every format of videotape and film canister and audio recording devices. And so we started to digitize it, mainly for archival purposes. Well, in the course of digitizing it, we realized we had a treasure. Yeah. And the things that Father Peyton was saying about family, about growing together in unity, about being church, seemed so relevant that we started to collect the things we were digitizing. And then we put together a filmmaking team that could really tell the story and bring the story to a new generation that would meet Father Peyton and um, listen to the message that he had to share. Wow. How long has it taken to kind of, once you realized you had all this great stuff? 
Uh, we started the documentary in 2017. That's when we brought in uh, Megan Harrington, uh, an incredible filmmaker. Uh, Megan did work on the Dating Project. Okay. If you, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the Dating Project, the Family Theater partnered on, and she put, she found John Sipity, and John Sipity is an amazing young director. He's connected with Windrider, mm-hmm. uh, um, their production division of Windrider, and. Uh, we worked, we partnered with Windrider and they've been an incredible partner uh, in this, in the journey. So it took about two, two years uh, to produce the film. And then we've done about a year in post uh, and working on distribution. Sure. Did the uh, coronavirus lockdown affect the project at all? <laughs> Thanks be to God, we were done. We were, wow. we were completely finished with the film before the virus hit. What it's really shaped is distribution. Um, mm-hmm and and how we would do it how we would get it to audiences and so and so we've been dealing with like everyone else we've been dealing with a lot of unknowns about how do we get it to people sure sure as has everyone in the industry i'm going to imagine too right it's the talk of the town uh, everybody i mean this this pandemic is going to shape the entertainment industry it will be interesting to see if movie if uh, movie theaters come back. Sure. How big they come back? How long it will take? You're, I think you'll see a lot of smaller ind- independent theaters close, but um, but everybody's kind of guessing. You know their best guess about how to reach audiences uh, uh, with films. So many films are delayed to 2021. Right. But we decided you know to stick with uh, October of 2020. Now, I'm certain it, the fact that it's October, the month of the Holy Rosary, has some sort of influence on that release date. Yeah, it was part of it. It's, yeah. it's part of the tradition of our company and back to the days of Father Peyton that we, we started big things on feast day. So we, we got the closest opening weekend to the feast of our, uh, the Holy Rosary on October 7th as we could. Sure. And so that was, that was part of the reason. The other reason was it's a good fit. I mean, it, it, it makes sense on a certain spiritual Catholic level, but um, that's, it's a good window in the fall to release independent films. If you get beyond October, you're in, in a normal year, you'd be competing with the, the Oscar contending films. Sure. You know, that's the high season. The high season of cinema is, you know, November, December. That's when everybody's trying to get in so they can, they can get their Oscar films in public while, while people are doing all their voting for the awards. Sure. And, uh, so we, we, we were getting in before that. <laughs> <laughs> well, who is the audience for Prey? I mean, like, you know, what hopes do you have with this film? When we first started the film, frankly, we thought we were making it for a, a fairly, you know, formed Catholic audience. That changed. Uh, for one thing, one of the things we wanted to do with the film, we wanted to tell, again, the life story of Father Peyton. And there's some really fascinating things about that. But more we wanted to show how what he said really could be implemented in a family. Mm-hmm. So we, in the film, there's four families that are featured and they and each has their own kind of touching story about how their, uh, their family connection with God led to something important and good in their family. Yeah. So in the, you know, we made this film and then we started, you know, doing test screenings at, at conventions and trade shows and conferences and for distributors and we found that people just really responded to the film. We had distributors of, were, that were people of no faith. We had distributors of people that um, weren't Catholic that really resonated with the film. And so we had a lot. We had a lot of people take a look at the film. Ultimately, you know, we ended up with the plan that we have. But 
So that's a long answer to your question. My hope is that, and I think the film will entertain just because of the nature of the story. But I think uh, families, people that for whom prayer is important and their faith is important are, are going to find a lot of hope and support in this film. Yeah. Well, I got to watch it last evening and uh, I was, so it's fresh on my mind, right? But I was struck by a couple things. One, you're right. The the stories of the families and each of them kind of expressing, some of them knew Father Peyton personally. Others uh, got to know Father Peyton through the work of others, through the work of kind of his successors, the people who keep the torch uh, kind of going. Um, but I was particularly fascinated to learn that uh, Father Peyton started his kind of family rosary crusade as a way to express thanks to the Blessed Mother for his own miraculous healing. Um, can you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Father Peyton um, came to Holy Cross in um, 19, I think it was 1932. Um, and he, he hadn't finished high school. So he finished high school at the Little Sem, which was the high school seminary that was at Notre Dame, got his undergraduate degree at Notre Dame, and he did very well. At, in, he had not done great in school in, in Ireland, but he did very well at Notre Dame. They, he went to our theologate, which at that time was connected with Catholic University. He's at Catholic University of uh, uh, the October before he's supposed to finish his studies, and he gets tuberculosis. Wow. And not just a tuberculosis, but it's a very severe case of tuberculosis. So they send him back to the mother house in South Bend. Uh, he's at the infirmary for a while at Notre Dame, and then they take him to a, the hospital in South Bend, and they don't know what to do. They try every treatment they can. He's on his deathbed. They call his family, tell them to come and visit one last time. They tell Father Peyton, at that time just Pat Peyton, uh, to make his peace with God. And a philosophy professor, a Holy Cross priest who was a philosophy professor named Cornelius Haggerty came in and visited Father Peyton. And he said, you know, you, you have a connection with God. You have such a deep connection with the Blessed Mother. Turn to her in prayer if it, she'll she'll be as good to you as you believe she'll be. And I think Father Haggerty just had a sense that there was more for Father Peyton to do. So Father Peyton did. He went all in on prayer, and he felt healing the next day. Now, he wasn't scheduled to have another chest x-ray for a couple of months, but he talked the doctors into it after about a week and a half, and the tuberculosis was gone. Wow. So he ended up being ordained with his brother, Tom, who was also a Holy Cross priest, Tom Peyton. And uh, he had some recovery to do. He was very weak because he'd been bedridden for months and months. Yeah. But um, but he's trying to figure out a way. How does he re- how does he how does he respond to such a great gift of grace? And the, his response was played out for the rest of his life. Yeah. And we're talking like literally millions of people seeing him in person around the globe. I mean. Yeah. For my generation, we think of John Paul II as being the you know the person who everybody flocked to see. But Father Patrick Payton, in some ways, pioneered that sort of mass religious gathering to pray together, in a way. Yeah, his rallies were huge. He started the movement just two years after he was ordained. So this young priest starts what he calls the Family Rosary Crusade, writes every bishop in the country, uh, he gets a lot of support from Holy Cross, which is probably one of his miracles because they gave him <laughs> so much leeway as a young priest. At that sure. time, we were we were pretty buttoned up, but um, but they gave him so much leeway. And then he ended up doing parish missions, which got bigger and bigger. And finally, uh, a bishop said, "Well, let's just do something really big outside." And that's when the outdoor rallies were born. He did he did hundreds of rallies all over the world, 
And we, it's estimated that he was seen by 28 million people at face-to-face events when, when he was alive. Wow. Some of the, and some of the, the rallies drew a million people, Sao Paulo and, and 1.2 million people in Rio. His last rally in Manila had 2 million people. Wow. So they were just, just drew fantastic, amazing crowds uh, to see him in person. Part of that was fed by his work in the media. He, uh, he would have been known you know, in the 40s and 50s because he was on television, he was, he was on the radio, and so people would have heard of him from that. Yeah. But he took that and went way beyond that. He was in many ways a contemporary of another venerable, uh, blessed almost, uh, Fulton Sheen, who himself has a connection to the Congregation of Holy Cross through the Bishop of Peoria. Um, That's right. So what was it about Catholics in the media in the 40s, 50s that, that was, they were so open to it? I, I think the 40s, the late 40s was the golden era of Catholic radio and, and Catholic media in general. And it didn't last very long, but the media, the, the powers that be in the media industry really recognize Catholics as an audience. That's the, and, and recognize the power of Catholics. That's when a bishop, if a bishop said, don't see this, people didn't see it. If he said, go see this, they would go see it. Sure. That's gone um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, it was a time when, you know, the, the, the values of, of Catholicism were more appreciated. You know, you mentioned Bishop Sheen, and, and Father Peyton was younger than Bishop Sheen, and he talked with him as he was getting started in radio. And, it, and Father Peyton, in some ways, considered him a mentor wow. uh, in the work that he was doing. It, it, Fulton Sheen helped him get started in radio and kind of guided him of, as he was trying to start it, get started in his radio show. So um, there was lots of connections. But in, in, in 1948, there were, about, there were 12 national Catholic radio programs on the air, including you know, the Bishop Sheen's program on the NBC network, but mm-hmm. the, the Christopher's had one, the Sacred Heart Fathers had one, and Father, you know, Father Peyton was one of those. So uh, it really was a different time. Wow. Well, you kind of made reference to the, uh, you know, Father Peyton as a member of the Congregation of Holy Cross, and I'm really kind of interested, how was his ministry at Family Theater, Family Theater Productions, related to his vocation as a member of the congregation? Holy Cross, I, I think our primary ministries are preaching, uh, which mission work, preaching, and mm-hmm. education. And I, the, the work that Father Peyton was doing was an extension of the preaching and educational work. Holy Cross, our, our founder was really deeply involved with the media of his day, uh, Father Basil Moreau in France. He published books. He published music. He was a frequent contributor to journals and se- even secular journals. So it's kind of in our DNA. Um, Father Soren started... Ave Maria magazine, which was hugely popular in the 19th and early 20th century. Ave Maria Press still continues today. Right. Um, it's, you know, part of the Catholic media world. So this is, this has been something that Holy Cross, it's, it's in our blood to, to do this, to get to people however you can, whether it's over the radio or in the classroom or through a book, it's part of who we are. Sure. Well, I know that uh, Pope Francis declared Father Peyton to be venerable in 2017, which just happens to be the same year you you kind of started this project. But uh, what does it mean uh, for people who aren't familiar with the process? What does it mean that he's venerable Patrick Peyton? The church has, for, when he was declared servant of God, a committee was put together that would, would be advance his cause. And that meant uh, arranging for hundreds of interviews with people who had worked with him collecting everything he'd ever written, everything he'd ever said, and, and gathering it in one place. And then we sent 18 boxes of materials to Rome. 
um, that with all the stuff that was put in a summary document that was a 400 page book called it's called the Positio. And that was presented to the Congregation for Saints. And so after they reviewed that, they saw that he had a holy and admirable life. And so now the next step would be beatification. And the, one of the primary requirements for beatification is a posthumous miracle. Mm-hmm. And so that that's, would be the next step for Father Payton. Sure. Well, bringing a film like this to the screen involves hundreds of people, not just the handsome people in front of the lens like you are in this film, of course, but countless artists behind the camera as well. You've already mentioned the director and the screenwriter, Megan and and Jonathan. Uh, Tell us a bit about uh, the filmmaking team and the people that you're working with and maybe why did they want to be involved with this project? Because I know like Windrider is, you know, uh, they're, they're wonderful fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're not Catholic. So why would they no. want to bring a story about the rosary uh, to to the screen? Yeah, it, it, we'd, we, we're good friends with people in Ryder, and John Sippity is one of their their creative directors. I, I'd known John's work. We've done some things with John and uh, John Sippity, the director in the past. Megan, especially, had, had worked with him on the dating project. Uh, we showed him some things about Father Peyton, and he really took to the message. And it was great to have those the story through the eyes of somebody that was just a little bit outside the tradition uh-huh. and, um, and, and some of the more universal aspects of father Peyton's message, I think come through the, in the film because of that. But in the course of it, I, there's been a kind of a great sort of camaraderie that's developed and a, and a kind of a mutual understanding of where we're at. And certainly I think a, a more nuanced understanding of the relationship of people of the Catholic tradition with the Blessed Mother. So it's been wonderful to see. And, and John did a, did a beautiful job. The editor, John Lewis, was also is also not Catholic, but a person of strong faith. Matt Donlin, it was the writer, co-writer of the film with Megan Harrington. Matt's a, a you know, devoted person of the faith. He did incredible work on this. And then one of the, one of the pieces of the film that, that often goes unnoticed, but I, I really ask people to listen to the music. The score is by an incredible young composer named Grant Fonda. And Grant, all of its original, with exception of one song that a popular song that's included. <laughs> yes, uh, he didn't write that, but the rest of the music was was written by Grant Fonda, and it really brings the, uh, the uh, brings a heart to the story too. It's it's wonderful to work with creative people. Um, I'm more the person who gets, you know, pulls people together, make sure they have what they need, make sure the contracts get signed, and you know the you know the the things are made the true it, production work kind of yeah I mean, yeah that's what an executive producer does sure but it, it's been wonderful to work with these incredibly talented creative people why did you uh have to be in front of the lens i wonder did did you want to i i never really liked being in front of the camera i was talked into it in part because i i i knew the story so well uh-huh. at one point i thought i might I tried to produce or direct it myself, but I, I really wanted to get somebody, somebody who was a master storyteller that could do it justice. And so I, and I'm glad, I, I'm glad we did that, but I, I really know the story. Well, I've, I've talked about father Peyton. I've given talks and retreats and things. So I, I'm kind of a carrier of some of the history. The other thing, I was the one that went through all the files and initially went through a lot of the footage. So I, I had an awareness of what was there. Sure, so that's, sure. that's part of the reason they put me in front of the camera. <laughs> um, do you ever feel the, um, 
responsibility, you know, to carry the torch, as you say, I mean, to, to help continue to spread the word. Tell us a bit about how that affects your ministry as a priest and as a member of the congregation and uh, there at Family Theater. Yeah, um, the office that I use at, at, at our offices on Sunset Boulevard, it's the same office that Father Peyton used. Wow. And every once, every, every once in a while, it really strikes me. I have a rosary that Father Peyton had used that I have on my shelf. Sometimes I'll just go and I'll pick it up. The other thing, we have a, we have a small chapel in our, in our office, and, and Father Peyton went there often. And I think I probably feel his presence most often when I, when I go to the chapel. And when he had a big decision to make, if he, if, if he needed, you know, to process all the things he was hearing from his team, he spent a lot of time in that chapel. And um, sometimes I, I feel almost the sense of someone saying, go get a little chapel time before you react to this, or <laughs> before you make a decision on this. And it, it always is, it always is a good thing to do. Well, what other projects are in the pipeline there at uh, Family Theater Productions? We have a, of all things, we have a, a wonderful documentary about a, a pioneer in women's athletics called The House That Rob Built. That'll come out next spring. It's about a coach in Montana named Robin Selvig, who was one of the most winning coaches in women's history. But it, it, the film really celebrates women in sports and that sports have this incredible ability to build character, create community, to motivate people. And so it's really, that's what it's about. So that'll come out in February. We have uh, two series that are on the internet uh, that are more educational. One's called Catholic Central. It's, we hired, I hired entertainment writers to write <laughs> religious uh, programming. So each, <laughs> each episode has a topic about Catholicism. And, and so that it's sort of cliff notes. If you were old enough to remember cliff notes, I think. And we do have a Spanish version called Lente Catolico. Then we have a couple of holiday films, a children's series, and other things that are in development as well. Wonderful. Well, like I say, this was a wonderful film to watch, and and uh, there are some uh, wonderful clips of. Very famous people, uh, you know, very famous celebrities. I loved seeing his interaction with, you know, Frank Sinatra. And of course, Bing Crosby is there. And uh, I can't even name everybody because it was just really beautiful. Um, it's a fascinating story. And I'm grateful that you're bringing this to a new generation because he died when I was a senior in high school. So I wow. didn't know him you know, except maybe having heard the phrase, uh, the family that prays together stays together. But this is a wonderful project and I wish you the best of luck. And how can people are, is it going to be released in theaters uh, or is it online? How are people going to be able to watch it here starting on the 9th? Uh, it's going to be released in theaters on October 9th and it, it will probably play in theaters for, for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Uh, there's a list of theaters and the best way to get the information about the film is to go to the website. It, the website is praythefilm.com, praythefilm.com. Right away when you click on that, there's a list of theaters. Um, we're opening in about 50 theaters on, on the 9th and that hopefully it will expand from there. There's one, there's a, I know there's a theater in South Bend, there's theaters in Chicago, there's, you know, theater, uh, theaters where theaters are open, um, we're there. There's still part LA where we, we don't have theaters open yet. I'm dying to go to the theater, but, um, but may, hopefully in a couple of weeks, we'll be able to put it in a theater in LA, but you can find all that at praythefilm.com. Wonderful. Well, 
Father David Guffey, thank you so much for the conversation. Ken, thank you so much. Thank you to Father David. You'll find links to learn more about the film Prey and the ongoing Ministry of Family Theater Productions in the show notes. Subscribe to Ethics and Culture Cast so that you can always get the latest episodes by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu slash podcast. We would love your feedback. Please review the show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts and email your suggestions to cecpodcast at nd.edu. Our theme music is I Don't Know by Grapes, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We'll see you next time on Ethics and Culture Cast. Until then, make good decisions. Music